Welcome back to The Mentors. We're back this week with part two of our episode with Wayne Mackey, the founder of State Space, the company that is helping people become better at video games through a training game. And last week in part one of our episode, Wayne talked about his history, the story of how he came up in the world and how he went from barely graduating college to actually getting his PhD at NYU and starting this company. And this week we get into the details. We talk about how did he get the company off the ground how he funded it, how he grew his user base, and what sets them apart from other gaming companies out there. Please enjoy this second part of our episode with Wayne Mackey of State Space. To create or work for. And, you know, we got into Expa, so the Expa Labs program. Um, so Expa founded by, you know, Garrett from Uber, Naveen from Foursquare, Human, Vitor, um, Maloon and Roberto, uh, the kind of the six expert partners that are all operators that, you know, founded companies or early stage employees at big top companies. We thought this would be amazing to be able to work with them. What we really liked was it wasn't like a typical kind of accelerator. There was no, there was no like curriculum. It was really just like, here are these kind of amazingly talented people that are just here to help you day to day. We had Eric Friedman was a, the GM. You know, he was amazing. One of the one of the great things he'd always said was like, we're here to get everything out of the way that's not build and ship. We want you to focus on building and shipping and we kind of help you get there and everything else. And it was totally true. That's interesting because a lot of programs try to push people to do, let's say, customer discovery, doing more sale, pre-sales, yeah. while here they were, they were asking you to build and ship. Yeah. That's interesting. And so what was the advantage that you think that created for you and tell us a little bit about some of those things you learned from those from those folks those partners at expo i think it was you know the it was just failing quicker and really and just it accelerated the learning process because i think it's easy especially you know partly coming from a scientific background where you know academia is very slow and there's a reason for it because there's a level of precision that you're trying to accomplish that you can be more reckless i guess in the real world where you can put something in somebody's hands and get feedback, learn from that quickly and adapt the product, you know, versus let's talk to them about it. Let's hear about it, not let them touch and feel the product and make sure we can get it just right before we, we give it to them. No, it was much more about, you know, if you don't ship something that you're kind of embarrassed of, then you're shipping too late and getting it in people's hands and learning from that. And that has been a key principle that has worked for us from the beginning with this company that we've taken to the extreme a bit to be a little bit contrarian, especially in the gaming space, that I think is what has really helped us grow, helped our user base kind of grow organically, help us build such an amazing relationship with our our community and our users um, is because we ship two to three live updates a week. Which for a gaming, you know, company or a, a game is really unheard of. That's, you know, when I bring in new engineers and hire new engineers and tell them that, like, we're going to be shipping two or three times a week, they're like, this is crazy. It's not possible. You can't do that. I'm like, well, we've been doing it for 18 months. I promise that it's possible. It just takes, you know, a little flip of mindset, being okay with things not being perfect, but being adaptable and flexible and just being like, what's broken will get fixed quickly. And that has allowed us to leverage a very unique and useful relationship with our users to where, you know, gamers are very opinionated and they are not shy. And that is a good thing because we don't have to pull teeth. We don't have to run focus groups. We don't have to go and try to find people to give us their opinion. They give us our opinion day in and day out. The important thing is just to listen and to make it as easy as possible for them to voice their opinion directly to you. So, I mean, I get probably 100 direct messages a day on Discord from users and I answer all of them. 
we have a bug reporter inside of the game where people can leave feedback. They can just press a button, tell us whatever they want. They can tell us this is broken, that's broken. Most of the time, it's not about bugs. It's just feedback. I wish you could do this. I wish you could do that. This is what I think about this or that. Every single one of those that leaves an email gets replied to. Every single one. We get over 100 a day. Every single one gets replied to. And constantly we hear, we get responses back that are just like, a game developer has never responded to me. I can't believe anyone read this, let alone responded. Which is crazy because what an untapped resource. As an early stage company where you're trying to find product market fit, you're trying to build the best product for your users, why would you not just want to make it as easy as possible to hear all of their thoughts and everything that they think about that? and adapt the product to solve their needs, right? That's what we should be doing. Not necessarily like, here's a solution I think that we haven't tested what will solve your problem and I'm gonna try and sell that to you, right? Especially coming from a sales background, like I have a product, I wanna convince you to purchase it. It's more of, no, what are the real problems? Let's create the actual solution to those problems that works and that you find easy to use and enjoyable and that you love using. That's what I want to learn and build and give you not what I think it is that you need and convince you to use it. Um, Can you give us the quick elevator pitch of state space? Because I don't think we did that yet. And also uh, talk us through, because obviously you were going through Expo, you were building features all the time, pushing uh, three times a week. But how did you get those early users? What did you do to get some of that early success and traction and then so that you can actually get that feedback in the beginning when you were pushing out these features? So state space... Uh, we are founded by a couple neuroscientists. We uh, focus on providing, uh, you know, leveraging our neuroscience, machine learning, and, and you know, we have some computer vision uh, experts on the team as well. Leveraging that to provide standardized benchmarking, scouting, performance analytics data in in gaming and esports. So, like the SAT score of esports and gaming, the way the fundamental ways to kind of you know, how I mentioned earlier about traditional sports, there's things you can measure how fast someone can run, how high they could jump, how strong they are. That data is very valuable and used along, you know, many spectrums in traditional sports, be it scouting, training, contract arbitration, media and storytelling. It's just a fundamental piece of data that has so much value. So we've built our business basically around that data and not necessarily a single solution because that data in itself, if you have that, you know, and, and we've gone through Great Lakes to make sure that we, one, collect that in a proprietary way so that it's our data, which we can get into later is, is very, very important. But, you know, it solves multiple problems. And that was one of the hard choices from the beginning was we knew what we wanted to do. We knew what large problem that we wanted to solve, which was, Develop the way to measure and use this data, but which of these problems, what are the applications of this data that we want to go after first? I think as a gamer, I thought, well, matchmaking. If I knew everybody's kind of constituent skills, we could use that to create a much better matchmaking service because matchmaking sucks in games. It's a huge pain point, has been for years, and everybody's looking for solutions. The pro teams that we started talking to in the beginning were all like, well, we want like a scouting platform. Can we use this data to be able to find, you know, the young 13, 14, 15-year-old player with raw abilities that we can bring into our system and, and, and you know, groom to be an amazing player? I think that both of those, you know, had the problem of like starting a dating website. You know, if you go to a dating website, there's five people there. You're not going to stay. It doesn't matter. You know, you have to build up a large uh, user base before there's a lot of value there and, and stickiness for new users. So we thought, well, what could we do 
that solves a big problem with this data that we can, you know, start collecting this data, learning from this data and give users something very valuable in turn. And training was then the obvious first step for us. And, and you know, having spent time doing like the brain training stuff in, in undergrad, it was like kind of like, a, again, a perfect fit. It was like, of course, you know, let's do this. I've seen how this failed and how it works. And let's kind of implement that, you know, here. So the initial product that we built right now called AimLab, you know, soon to be uh, rebranded in the near future is a little, you can think of it as like a, a little AI-based personal coach for first-person shooter players. So whether it's, you know, Fortnite, Overwatch, or Apex Legends was the big thing now. It's software that you download that simulates those games, the physics of those games, but runs you through basically little fun things that inject the neuroscience aspects in the lab of like how we would measure things like reaction time, accuracy, uh, bias, visual bias. You know, uh, as humans, we all have kind of unique visual biases where let's say... I may be worse at reacting to things that are presented in the upper left portion of my visual field. So if an enemy is in the upper left part of the screen, I may react slower than if they're somewhere else, or I may be less accurate. Moving my mouse to the left side of the screen versus the right side of the screen, you know, I may perform differently. So we kind of diagnose all of those things, give you that feedback, and then the software itself adapts in real time, adapts that training to kind of push you at your threshold, a difficult but not frustrating level of difficulty to help you improve, and then tracks those things over time. So we thought that was kind of the perfect way to start one collecting this data and learning from it so we can know you know what what is the average player's skill set you know what separates people who are really good from people who are amazing and at the pro level versus not and how could we help people on their journey from you know starting out yeah, you know, I'm just starting out, you know, playing Fortnite for the first time. And how do we make them, you know, better playing with their friends? But if they wanted to become a professional player, is that possible? What are those ceilings? And how do we help people along that progress? So that was kind of the first, you know, our, our first product. We've, you know, developing some tangential things related to that as we go. And, and through this learning process, both from professionals and collegiate level at the high school level and the everyday user level, just coming from listening to their their problems and their concerns and coming up with ideas that we think can address address those problems. But how did you get in people's hands in the very beginning. I mean, obviously you're in the gaming community, so I'm assuming maybe you went after folks that you have been playing with for a while, or yeah. was there another method? So I think we twofold. So one, we put the the game up on Steam, you know, which is the largest PC uh, marketplace to purchase games, which has been fantastic. It's been a fantastic experience just being on Steam, kind of you know working with them, and the little bit that we've that we've worked with them has been great especially as like an unknown developer or nobody knows who you are, cares, um, you know, they kind of have tools and abilities to give you a bit of a voice so that you can at least be seen by a subset of people, you know, that could try the product. So I think there was one, Steam kind of has its own mechanism. So at least get some people to be able to see you and who you are and hopefully at least give you a shot and download it and try it. You know, we went on like product hunt. I don't think that was kind of the right audience necessarily for what we needed. I mean, we got, you know, probably some users from there, but it wasn't like a, you know, a, a ton of users, but we, we had a little bit of press in the beginning. You know, we did like a TechCrunch article, Sports Insider, Esports Observer. We did like a little bit of press to help, you know, generate some basic interest. But did they find you or did you reach out to the editors there? A mix of both. So some of them were, were us reaching out um, and others were, you know, through Expo or um, had, had seen us on Steam or maybe saw one other article. I think that what we were doing was a bit strange and weird enough that we started, we did start getting just inbound interest from press and did some really great articles. There was a great with um, with Mashable. We did, I did like a really cool video segment that I think was very helpful, like AI and esports and, and things like that. I think that stuff was was helpful. But really, I mean, we haven't done much press. We've done no like ads, marketing or anything like that. We've been very anti that from the beginning. I think that that taints 
all of, you know, in the beginning, you, you really want to be able to listen for a pulse, see if something's there. I think that all that does is add noise, like any type of paid marketing or paid thing. You're just kind of like juicing your stats. And maybe that is, you know, for vanity metrics looks good. Or if you're trying to raise or something, you know, maybe that looks good, but you're only fooling yourself to a degree often to know, like, is there really legitimately something there? So, you know, from the beginning, not to say maybe we don't do that in the future. Luckily, we haven't had to. And we're, you know, I'm trying my hardest and I have to do anything like that at all. Even like paid influencer or something, we don't do any of that stuff. It's just been purely organic. And I think that to answer the question of like, you know, one, that's how we've got those initial users, how we've grown, you know, we, we opened like um, an open beta on Steam. It was like end of July, I, I believe, hoping to get like 10 or 15,000 users. We're like, can we get 10, 15,000 users so we can start to learn more, test some things and, and really just learn? We were fortunate. Um, we ended up getting like 120,000 users within that first that first month. We've doubled every quarter since then. Right now, we've, we've half a million users uh, today on the product, which is great. Now, is this mainly you think through word of mouth, or you guys are doing some sort of engineering as marketing? No, it's all through word of mouth um, through and- the Steam platform. Yeah, so it's everywhere. So we, you know, we get a lot of, we've had a lot of videos, blogs that people have, have written or like check this out, streaming on Twitch. I think also, you know, we've gotten really, really good reviews. We have like a nine out of 10 review score over the last 30 days on Steam, you know, which has been, has been great. But I, I really think a lot of it, you know, it's partly about, obviously about the product, but a large part of it is also, I think, how we engage the community and, how we treat our users. And I think that is what's helped us grow. We, we really are fortunate to have an amazing community, amazing users that are very helpful. And they, you know, tell us what sucks, what doesn't. And being able to, because of our quick iteration, where it's like we publish a couple patches a week, it allows us to show them that we care and that we're listening because it is valuable to us. So if someone comes to us and says, listen, you know, I wish that this you know, it was possible to have a yellow crosshair instead of just, you know, the other colors. And we come around and within 24 hours say, great, here it is. Uh, You know, we push this live for you, shows them that we care and that we are listening. And that just facilitates them telling us more, you know, more and and being more open with us. And And telling other people about it. Exactly. Exactly. Because, yeah, if they have that experience of, you know, I sent this someone something holy crap, this developer listened, they responded to my bug report and fixed it, you know, within 24 hours, of course, then you can turn them into, you know, an advocate, not necessarily just for the product, but for your company. Um, and, you know, and this is the first product and, you know, obviously, hopefully a long line of, of products and solutions that deal with different aspects of the data. I think that was our first hire was a community manager. And that's our number one priority is absolutely our users and that relationship with them. I think that that's kind of the no brainer, most important thing that we should do. So can you share some quick metrics with us? Uh, how big is the company now? How many users uh, yeah. did you guys, you charge obviously for your product as well. So No, it's free right now. Free? Okay. Um, so again, because we were like, all we really care about is learning and getting as much of that feedback. Um, we thought that charging is, you know, while that solves one thing is like, well, is it something that people are willing to pay for this solution? Well, we know that right. the solution isn't complete yet. And what we want to do is build that perfect solution. So adding that bar of you have to pay for it to be able to use it, you know, limits how many users that we could pull from in the beginning. So, you know, we didn't want that barrier. It just wasn't the point. And all that we really cared about, you know, growth has been great. Like I said, we've been doubling every quarter. We have about half a million users, um, you know, over the last, you know, that was in six months, which has been great. But we're really focused on 
just engagement and stickiness. You know, the product's only about 35, maybe 40% done. Mm. So it's still very much being built uh, alongside the community as we continue to listen, find out kind of what problems are and try to solve them. We've actually had to push back on growth a little bit. So we had in January, for a few days, we were the most watched game broadcast on Steam. And we were like on the front page of Steam and stuff like that, which was great. But we were getting 10, 15,000 users a day. We're like, no, 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 no. Um, we know our onboarding process is where it needs to be. Our user experiences and what we want. And that's what we're working on right now. You know, we're not trying to pour gas on the fire. Let's shut that down. So we turned off the stream, which the, the reason that we started the stream in the first place was we were trying to really lower lower users' expectations in a good way. So instead of creating this flashy trailer of like, this is some amazing thing that you should download and like super hype them up, we're like, let's just show them exactly what it is. Let's take video from the community. We got about six hours of uh, users in the community of just them playing it. It's just stitched it all together as one six-hour-long loop. We're like, let's put this right on the store page so that when someone comes, should I download this or not, we're not hiding everything from you. This is exactly the state of the game, warts and all. This is what it looks like. This is what it is. If you're not ready for that, kind of to deal with some of the brokenness or the, the bugs that are there, it's okay. Just wait. And, you know, we're working on it. But if you want to kind of join us on that journey, you know, jump in. So for us, it was more about expectation setting. And we learned a valuable thing, though, was that people are interested in, well, what are other people doing to get better? You know, I know at what level I play, but what does someone who's really good look like? What does that actually look like? Um, and what are they doing to get better? And I think that was an important lesson for us to learn. Uh, we turned it off. We turned it back on in February. Same thing. We hit number one most viewed game on Steam for a couple of days and then had to turn it off again. But I think that was an important lesson for learning. Again, it was interesting, completely unintended, right. um, but an important thing to learn that was encouraging. And can you talk a little bit about that? Because you just mentioned that you're seeing that people are curious to see what it actually takes to be good. Yeah. And can you talk about this next, uh, I wouldn't say iteration of your product, but an add-on to your product? Are you going to be testing in the next couple of months <clears throat> that'll let people do that? Yeah. So I think... From the beginning, you know, we focused heavily on mechanics, and that's a small portion of what makes you good at games. And, you know, there's a lot of other things out there. So we, in this past, you know, year, we've been listening and seeing what are, what are people doing to get better? How are they, how are they, you know, they're asking questions in our Discord, they're watching YouTube videos, they're scouring Reddit, they're watching Twitch streams and stuff like that. What is going on and how can we better address some of these issues? And knowing that there was such interest, like we added leaderboards to the game and immediately we saw like an influx of cheaters of like, <laughs> you know, people cheating in a training game, of course, a little bit weird, but people taking screenshots. So one of the other things we did was we added, we saw people like sharing screenshots of their scores to Steam or in our Discord. And we're like, okay, what if we added like a share to Twitter, Reddit, you know, whatever social. But again, we don't want to grow. So why don't we add a button that's just like share your results and it dumps it to our Discord. So it's only people who already have the product anyway. Uh, we average about 2000 screenshots a week being shared. Um, so we're like, okay, there's definitely something here. People want to compete. People want to see what other people are doing, but people also want to learn from other people. Um, and how best could we solve that problem, you know, given the technology that we have as well. So a new feature um, that we're rolling out, we've internally called the Academy. I'm not sure if that will be what it's called in the product, but it mixes kind of like you know, you can think of like Masterclass or Coursera type of instructor content where it's like, you know, a professional player saying, you know, here's how you, um, you know, focus on flick shots versus track shots, how to find your perfect sensitivity, like game training 101 with some video content. But instead of just like video content and then go off and do it, there's companion, you know, aim lab training that goes with that. That's just like, okay, here are the exercises and the activities that you're going to do that's custom built for this lesson. 
you get our little machine learning does its magic that kind of tells you what you're good at, what you're bad at based on the outcomes that training adapts to you, but you also get adaptable video that's go, okay, here's where your strengths are. Here's where your weaknesses are. Here's what you're going to do next. The training is going to adapt. You're going to see this. So it's really like a handheld, you know, walkthrough to help you go through things. And instead of just a course, like here's a course, you complete it. It's infinite replayability because it adapts to you as you continue to grow. So it's, it's less on like, well, I've completed this course. I'm done. I've absorbed the content. I've done X, Y, Z. It now adapts with you as you continue to grow. So we're really, really excited about that. I think it solves, it helps us solve additional needs beyond what we've been solving. And I think it's something that Again, we, we kind of have this rising tide mentality where, you know, we're trying to bring the community up with us. So like the whole, it's also our first, uh, you know, dipping our toes in revenue, but we're doing it alongside the community and the content creators. So it's a rev share. It's a 50-50 rev share split, you know, similar to like, uh, you know, some of the um, the online course, like Coursera and stuff like that, um, where the content creators create the content and they share in all of the revenues and profits and, and things like that. Well, it's obviously, it sounds to me like it's a big opportunity. You guys are 30, 40% done with the first product. You're already half a million users. Clearly, yeah. you were able to uh, be attractive to an accelerator. Did they give you some funding? Obviously, you have to support the engineers uh, yeah, yeah. and yourself. So are you guys raising money now? Have you raised some already? Yeah, so we just closed. We, we did a half a million dollars um, with Expa. And then last, it was about July or August, the same time we opened the beta, um, we were like, okay, let's go get a little bit more money. So we were going to do like another half million dollars with like Expo. We thought, okay, let's get like another, an additional investor or something involved, you know, to expand the network and just get some more help. And we were fortunate. Um, we, we had like a lot of interest. We ended up doing a million. We had like 2.8 committed, but we didn't, we just didn't want as you know, a little, we don't want to get ahead of our skis and, and, uh, we didn't need that much money. So we did a million dollars. We got uh, first mark involved, so which was also great. You know, I talk about like at the early stage about conviction, and uh, you know, people are always like, "Well, we invest in in founders, not companies." And they all kind of like like to have that line. I mean, with first mark, I think we had a total of two meetings, and it was like eight days apart from like initial meeting to like, "Yes, let's rock and roll, let's go." Why do you think they made that decision so quickly? What was it about you guys? I, I really think it was about conviction. It was about, you know, a little bit of early traction that we had. I really do feel like they just believed in me. They believed in our team and what we did, how we solved the problem, our, the approach that we took and the skill sets that we had in the timing and, in you know, the, the opportunity in the space. But I think for they have so much told me that a lot of it is it was about me and it was about the team and it was about believing that we'll solve that problem and that we can kind of kill it and then they actually uh we just did another uh two and a half million dollars with um first mark lux uh and uh jeffrey katzenberg's wonder co we're actually closing it now again first mark was kind of like you know let's let's rock and roll i think this was like four days we had like a board meeting on friday and then it was like let's talk to the, the partners on monday let's go let's pour some more gas on the fire um, allow to hire more people. I mean, again, now that we have such traction and, you know, users are so important to us, it's important to us to keep up with their demand and with what they want, right? So we need to be able to hire more. We need to be able to go a bit quicker and push out some of these things, you know, to keep up with that. And just super excited. We're a team of, you know, like 10 and a half right now um, and looking to add, you know, another six to eight people 
in you know just rock and roll over the next where can people find you especially if i'm a talented developer <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and they want a job at a always company. looking for talented developers so you can just email me you know personally wayne uh at statespace.gg um you can go to the website statespace.gg uh we have some job postings on uh on angel list and also feel free to like join our discord i uh, again i'm like talking to people there all the time it's the easiest place to find me you can just dm me on there hit us up on the website uh discord post in our steam forms wherever so Wayne, I think the big uh, recurring theme, at least for me in this conversation uh, throughout your life, is that you followed your passion, but you also were able to, at different stages and important inflection points in your life, to find people that were going to get behind you and support you, those mentors or investors or advisors, whoever, who yeah. actually helped you figure out that, you know what, I can do this. I can work on this stuff. Yeah. And and then, of course, you paying attention to what's important for me to get to the next step to be successful. Like, hey, I need to finish my PhD in four years. Hey, now we have this business that we're starting. How do we get something to users that they want and constantly listening to users, yeah. which fuels growth? Of course, that's what helps attract people like that is when you actually do the things you say you're going to do. Right. But <laughs> but is there anything else that you can leave us with around about you know how do you get in front of those kind of people and get them to support you and also figure out which of those people to surround yourself? with yeah i mean that's a hundred percent like i attribute a lot of our success i mean hard work only gets you so far and i've been super fortunate to have amazing mentors both everybody at expo has been fantastic you know at matt at first mark david at first mark some of the investors that we brought on now that i've known for a year like you know lux and zach at lux our teen at wonderco and then amazing advisors that we've brought on like andreas thorsenson um who's now at pop dog but he was in the vc world for a while but a counter-strike world champion um, you know, did his own startups for a while, founded one of the most popular teams. Um, and Lai again was in VC, but also co-founded a big team. Dan Chu was VP DSPN. Like having those people that you can go to and ask questions, especially as like a first time founder. Like I know that I don't know things. So I try to be, you know, I'm hopefully very coachable um, because I think that's important. And even the science background helps with that, right? It's like, I know that there's lots of things I don't know. I think it's really important to have that learning and growth mindset. If you're out there talking and like getting in front of ECs and they're telling you, no, there's a reason in the beginning, like there's a reason and that's okay. And you have to, you have to like take it and learn from it and ask for that tough feedback of not just like, okay, you know, you're passing, but you know, go ahead, shoot me straight. What's the real reason? Is it, you know, if I did this, then, you know, what would I have to do to make you reconsider? Like what metrics do we have to hit? What are the, what are the reasons that you said? No, I think that's super important and you can't have an ego about it. You have to be like, Okay, well, this is, this is reality. Whether it's right or not, this is what people believe. Maybe I didn't tell the story correctly. You know, maybe there's, there's something in the communication I'm not doing if they've been, you know, led astray, but there's reasons you need to, you should relish that feedback, take it to heart and use that to adapt what you're doing. And, you know, maybe the hard answer is that, you know, it's not worth pursuing. <laughs> Better to find that out sooner than it is later and go pursue the next cool thing that you want to do. Um, but surrounding yourself by the right people is invaluable and is definitely a 10x kind of a thing to um, to your company. So talk to people, network with people, um, surround yourself with uh, with the right people. I think that that's um, the, the biggest thing, even in life in general, not just like you know, the funding thing. I talked about how I had that professor who supported me early on. I, I luckily I've had amazing parents who have always supported me, even in the crazy stuff and crazy ideas that we had to do. Like, yeah, sure. Go for it. 
in uh you know my wife is amazing and super supportive to be even like oh yeah you don't want to be a professor anymore you can do this crazy startup thing okay like you know and the support she gives me every day having those people around you that believe in you is just invaluable I think that's an awesome place to close out this episode is that if you don't have people in your life that will say yes to your crazy ideas, then you'll never be able to figure out whether they could be anything someday. Yeah, go find some new friends that will support your crazy ideas. <laughs> You've been able to do that throughout your life. Wayne Mackey of State Space, thanks so much for coming on this podcast and we're excited to see where you take this company next. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. 